Good evening. You guys are lame. Come on. Good evening. All right. There we go. Now, now we're awake. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you never met me, we are glad you're here. And we are in a series called Outsiders. And I don't know about you, but just the word outsider raises up feelings within me of, you know, there are things that, that are way, way, way on the outside, away from God's heart, and they would be the New England Patriots. You know? And there are things that are very close to God's heart that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, come on, come on. It's just the way it is. It's in the Bible, Brad. It's in the Bible, bro. Brown's not in there, sorry. Um, but no, on a, on a more serious note, there, you didn't have to go far this week to discover that we, we naturally as humans divide. Maybe the natural propensity of our broken humanity is that, that we draw lines and, and according to those lines separate out. And, and in, in doing so, we naturally create those who are in and those who are out. And, and part of that, like this week especially for me, created a kind of a, a longing of my soul for it to be different. Because what I started to notice this week is, is people with with real lives and, and real souls that, that were on both sides that, that both treated each other in a way that created more hurt and more harm. And, and what kind of angst me even more was watching the Christian communities, and not everybody, but, but a, a good number of Christ, people that were professed to be Jesus followers lobbing grenades into um, the situation that they weren't trying to heal anything. If anything, they were being prideful and boastful and, and, and appealing to their side. And, and here's a problem. Like for me, it, it, it hurts because what I see on the other side is real people who have real hurts. And I see Christians just going, I don't care. And it began to go, like for me, this, this tension of going, it's not okay and we, the collaboration, the, the collective of those that would claim to be Jesus followers, I feel like there's a real need for us to look at the life of Jesus and go, how are we supposed to engage? How are we supposed to move forward? How are we supposed to live? And I don't think, like, often we, we kind of see Jesus and we see Jesus in this vacuum, right? This, this, this perfect imagery, but... Jesus walked along one of the most politically unstable times that there has ever been on the planet. Jesus walked when social lines were so clearly defined, when, when, when gender and race were, were easily dividing people and they were okay with it. Jesus walked in the middle of that. And in the midst of that, Jesus then essentially, what, what I would think our role would be is for us to look at that and go, how does God feel well, how does God interact and what does it look like? How do we then, in this whole area of outsiders, where, where we find people that, that we want to put on the outsides, or we find people who are naturally even self-defining themselves as being on the outside, how are we supposed to engage and how are we supposed to live? And what does it look like? And I think the natural place we've got to go, we have to go to the Bible, because according to Scripture, what you find in Jesus is you find God on display. You, you want to know what God is like, you, you look at Jesus. And, and so often, though, what tends to happen 
is the Christian collective of believers. So often we define God by what he is against instead of declaring God by what he is for. And and the problem if we do that, if the problem is if we go by what he's against, then we also begin to make statements of the gospel that the gospel is about who God is against. When in reality of scripture, the gospel, the good news is about who God is for. And we have to do some reclaiming. We have to do some restaking. We have to do some re kind of centering and moving forward in this whole thing of, of outsiders and insiders and what that looks like. I don't think there was, we were ever designed for there to be an us and them. I think that's part of our broken humanity. And so if you, do, if you, would, if you have a Bible, um, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, um, I'd encourage you to pick one up on your way out today. You can get one at the Welcome Center on your way out. It's yours. It's a gift. Please pick it up if you don't have one. Um, Also, the Bible app. Like, just to encourage you, your phone goes everywhere, right? Right? Even the bathroom, right? Your, Your phone goes everywhere. And to be able to have what we're about to talk about, to be able to reference it at any point because you have the Bible app and you have it right there with you. Um, is a good thing. So um, I would highly recommend that. Matthew chapter 8 begins with this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside. When Jesus came down from the mountain. Okay, we're going to stop there. When Jesus came down from the mountainside. There is a context that sets this verse up. And if we don't understand the context, if we don't grasp the concept, we're going to miss the beautiful story that follows. And, and so within the context of this, if you step back chapter 7, chapter 6, and chapter 5, are a collection of a teaching that Jesus has just made. Now, we're going to jump in in Matthew 5, but before we do, there's another context in Matthew 5 that I want you to get. And in Matthew 5, Jesus is about to make his first public sermon. Now, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right, God creates, he, and in that garden he creates humans, and in creating humans, they walk away from God, they abandon God, and in the midst of abandoning God, God makes this declaration that he is going to rescue humanity. He is going to go on a rescue mission to pull them back in. And so what you have is you have this unfolding of Scripture then from the garden all the way to this moment in Matthew of a God who is in pursuit of humanity, a God who is in pursuit to show them what he's like, a God who is in pursuit to rescue them. As it continues on and you hit what we would call Christmas, right? Christmas is a celebration that God himself decided to cross the universe. The divine became human. They, they met fully divine, fully human in the person of Jesus. So now, if you want to know what God is like, you take a look at Jesus because Jesus is literally God with skin on. He, he, he's flesh and blood in front of you going, this is what God is like. So he comes to the planet, then he waits 30 years, and now after 30 years, he's going to make his first public sermon. And some say that chapters 5, 6, and 7 took two to three days to unfold. But if you're God and you've waited all of human history and you've waited 30 years on the planet and now you're going to declare to humanity in your first message, this is what God is like. Look at what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Blessed. That word blessed 
Um, you can unpack it several ways. One of the ways is that it's favor, that, it, that it's divine favor. Um, another, another way that I personally love is that it's God declaring, I am on your side. And, and so when you unpack, God is for the poor in spirit. Now, the poor in spirit, right? The poor in spirit are those who are nobodies, those who feel like they don't belong, those who feel like they're spiritually depleted, those who feel like they have no spiritual standing, those who know they don't deserve to be there. That is the poor in spirit. And what you have in the first pronouncement, if you have, you have Jesus, who is God, declaring, this is what God is like. It's a statement. It's not a question. It's not God going, this is who I'm against. It's God going, you need to understand something. I am for you. I am on your side. Maybe on a grander scale for for us in this time is just grasping the concept that God is for us. And when I say us, I don't mean us in the room. I don't mean this collective that are here. I mean us as in humanity. It's God putting himself on display and he's going, hey, you need to know something about me. You need to know that I am for you. That message alone, if you've been anywhere around Christians, and depending on the type of Christians, is actually the opposite message you've probably heard. And yet God starts out in, in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, he starts out and he goes, hey, you need to understand something, humanity. Those of you that think you're nobody, those of you that think you don't belong, you are blessed because God is on your side. God is for you. You ever notice that the high and mighty, the, the ones that think they belong, you don't have to tell them because they already think God's on their side like Steeler fans, you know what I'm saying? Right? <laughs> Like, like, they just assume, those that are the religious people, they assume that God is for them. And Jesus shows up, and it's not like the crowd that day wasn't a bunch of pastors. It wasn't a bunch of the religious elite. It wasn't the ones that had come and, and, and felt like they deserved. It was, it was the normal people that were there. It was the ones that didn't think they belonged there. And, and Jesus declares over them, hey, if you want to know what God is like, God is for you. He's on your side. And that's the context then that the rest of it kind of plays out. Blessed, God is on the side of those who mourn, those who have lost, those that are hurting, that are broken. God is on your side. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the humble, the, the lowly, for they will inherit the earth. Next verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, those, those who have this craving, this searching, those who know there's got to be more. He, go, he goes, blessed, I'm, on your, God, I'm here to tell you that God is on your side. Those, those the, the, the disenfranchised, the ones that think they shouldn't, he goes, I'm on your side. And he carries on through this list. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful are the ones you only need to give mercy if something's happened to you. You only give, need to give mercy if you're the one that, that, that's been... It's been done too, for they will be shown mercy. Carries on by the end. It goes through a couple more verses, but by the end it gets here where it says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. God is on your side. You know, by the way, like total side note, because it's 707, right? You know why most people don't speak up for God? Because they're scared of being insulted. And I don't mean, hang on, let me, let me clarify this. 
I don't mean scared like to talk about God, but I mean scared to like really claim that they are on God's side. Because the community's done such a poor job of declaring who God is, that their version of what that is is something that they hate. And so we avert it. But the problem is by averting it, we don't claim who we really are. And if we claim who we really are, that we are the lowly, we are the ones that are the nobodies, that if we would actually stand in that and claim it and, and hold on to it, what we'd actually discover coming out of it is God goes, I'm on the side of those that are insulted for me. And so Matthew chapter 8, where we started, where Jesus is coming down a mountain, Matthew chapter 8, the context is Jesus has just been done this whole sermon, and the whole sermon is about how God is for, and how the best way to, to be human is this, and the best way to live is this, and how to interact with one another, right? And so he's gone through this whole context, and it's almost at this point, when he's coming down the mountain, it's almost as if God goes, ah, they don't get it. So I'm going to give them a living, walking, breathing illustration of what I'm talking about. And, and so the, the text says he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. By the way, in this context, in this story, I believe it's the large crowds that are going, we're the in crowd, right? Because we've been with Jesus, man. We, we heard the two, three-day thing. We stuck for the whole thing. Like, we are with Jesus. Jesus is our boy, right? Jesus is the one we are following, right? Like, like in their context, in their context, they are the in crowd. And I believe that part of what Jesus is doing is he's giving them a living, breathing, going, okay, 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 you think you're the in crowd. Let me show you what I mean by who I am in this concept that God is for us. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. A man with leprosy came before him. Now, leprosy, in our context, your mom might go to Mother Teresa, leper colonies and that stuff. Okay. The leprosy in the Bible isn't necessarily the same as what we have today and think of as leprosy. In those days, the word was used commonly for any inward disease that showed up on the outward skin. So it was a skin disease, but they believed that the whole person had been infected, and so now it flowed to the outside. Now, understanding biblical context is important because all the way in Leviticus, which is an Old Testament book, in Leviticus chapter 13, very specifically, God tells the priest inspect the person. If you find marks of this skin disease, place them outside of the camp, place them outside of the city, separate from everybody. And the language actually says that they are to live alone, that they are to be isolated. Okay, so this was a death sentence. If you were found to have this skin disease, by the way, these were sores that would open up and ooze and And on top of that, they would smell. They would put off a smell, and eventually the skin would begin to decay and die, and you would lose limbs, and it would affect the voice. And because you were outside the city, you lived in dirt. That was what it was. And if you were lucky enough to have other lepers, other outcasts come and join you, they would be in the same spot, and then you'd all live together, and you can imagine the stench, and you can imagine the mess. That, that a leper was. And a leper, by the way, if they were placed outside, if they came anywhere near other people, they had to walk along going, unclean, unclean, unclean. And as they would do that, anyone who saw them coming would back away and distance themselves from the person for fear of becoming like them. So when it says a man with leprosy, a man with leprosy came. Like, like there's a big 
context, this person, like I said before, it's a walking death sentence. They, they literally were now waiting for this disease to physically eat them so they could die. Death became a release in this case. And in this context of hopelessness, I love the language that there's movement here, right? That, that Jesus is coming down and the leper is coming towards. Like, like there's this movement, but the, the language here is that Jesus still isn't up on the mountain. This isn't the leper coming and finding him there. The leper's moving, but Jesus is moving down towards where what? Where the leper is. And there's something I think for us to, to like grab and hold on to here, that Jesus comes down the mountain and he meets the leper right where he is. There's something significant to that. Because the context of the way it's, it, it, it's put here is the leper comes before him, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. By the way, clean is only used in reference to the disease of leprosy because it's connected to sin. You don't heal someone from leprosy. You cleanse them. It, it, it was connected to sin that our problem as humans, the brokenness that we experience, it's a deeper root thing that needs to be cleansed, not healed. And so leprosy was considered the same, that it was something that had to be cleansed. And so this man comes and he, he kneels, and, and the language of kneel is to, to bow low. It's not necessarily worship, it's more respect. And the word Lord isn't necessarily worship, it's a respectful term. And he comes and he's in front of him. And what I want you to get is this, he's still in all of his mess. The leper hasn't cleaned up. He still smells. The sores are still running. His voice is still strained because he preached five times, right? His voice is still strained. And it's, it's in that context of separation and isolation that Jesus, who was followed by a crowd, who has just declared that God is for us, that God is on your side, that he now comes down and meets the lowliest of low, the, the furthest on the outside, and as he meets him, it's significant for us to grasp this, that God will meet us right here. God will meet you right where you are. If you've been around church long or you know church people, we have a terrible game we got addicted to. And it's this game that if I just, then I will. And here's what I mean. If I just become more disciplined, if I just become more moral, if I just stop doing that, if I just clean up a little bit, if I just make my good, like, like pile up a little bit more, then I will be closer to God. Then I will have a better standing. Then God might just look at me with favor. We, we play this game all the time. Some of you have probably avoided church till you were clean enough to come into church. The good news is this. Jesus shows up Where? Right in the middle of the mess. Jesus shows up when it's the dirtiest, when it's the most outcast, when it's the furthest away. That's where Jesus is found. A.K.A. Jesus is telling us that's where God is found. That if you walk through the door tonight and you got mess, welcome. Welcome because that's where Jesus will meet you. He's not waiting for you to become something so he can show up. He's, he meets you right where you are. And in the case of the leper, he meets him and the leper goes, hey, because what is the leper really saying? I don't have any reason you should, but if you would. 
It'd be cool if you would cleanse me. Cool, bro? You don't have any reason to do this, but I know you can, but are you, are you willing? Look what Jesus does. Verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus could have healed at a distance, like everybody else. Be cleansed, right? In fact, he proves it later in the, in the same chapter. He proves in a conversation that he could have. But it says Jesus, Jesus noticed before any of the, the, the cleansing takes place. Jesus reached out his hand and touched me. Jesus enters the mess. Jesus enters the dirt. Jesus enters the uncleaned up. Jesus enters the broken. And he gives the man exactly what the man needed to prove that Jesus wasn't just some good person that was doing something, but Jesus was actually, Jesus actually loved this dude. Jesus reaches down, he touches the man. And in the process of touching the man, what he's displaying is, I love you. I am on your side. And he reaches into the mess, and then he says, be clean. By the way, everything to this point in the scriptures and all of the history of Israel, if something was clean and it came into contact with something unclean, it made the clean unclean. In this case, it's, it, it's, it's the moment when the clean makes the unclean clean. I got good news for you. You came in here with a mess. I got great news for you. Jesus reaches across into your mess and declares you clean because he has the capability to make the unclean clean. I got better news. There's nothing that you have to do because Jesus is the one doing it all for this guy. Jesus is the one reaching in. Jesus is the one declaring his love that God is on his side. And, and the better news is this, that this man was immediately what? He's immediately healed. He's immediately cleansed. Why is that good news? Because when you meet Jesus, he immediately changes you. There's not something, you're not on probation. You're not on this work to get better. You're not on this. What happens in that moment is Jesus changes you completely. Why? Because God is for you. How, does, how do we know that God is for us? Because he shows up and meets you right where you are. And in love, he declares, he displays, Jesus displays that God is for you by the fact that he loves you. Like, I don't know if there's any better news than the fact that right here, right now, the way you are, Jesus shows up and goes, I love you. God's on your side. God's on your side. And then it goes a step further, which seems a little bizarre at first. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. Offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay, Bible history, Leviticus 14, that book that I talked about earlier. Leviticus 14 has the rules for if you get cleansed, Here's where you go. Here's how you go about it in the temple, right? Okay. So, and it's a testimony to them. So he's declaring that, 
that Jesus is the Messiah. But this isn't what held me up. What held me up is why? Jesus, you cleanse this guy. Why make him go through that? Until I realized that what Jesus is actually saying to him, he heals him, he cleanses him, and then he says, now go and claim the life that I've given you. Go and claim everything that's yours. Where was he outed from? The temple. He wasn't allowed anywhere near it. He was on the outside of the city. Jesus goes, go get it. It's yours. How's it yours? I healed you. Same as flip it to our world. Jesus shows up. Jesus saves you. Jesus heals you. Jesus rescues you. In the midst of rescuing you, Jesus goes, I got this whole new life that you don't even know about. And he goes, go get it. And what I mean is this. He's got a life for you that says you are forgiven. So if you're sitting in here and you know Jesus and you're under a weight of guilt, I got good news for you. Get out from under guilt because it's not of God, it's of Satan. And what God says about you is you're forgiven. So whatever you feel guilty about, you're forgiven. How do I know? Jesus did it. That's your new life. Go get it. The stuff that you're struggling with, I got good news for you. You don't have to struggle. You've been set free. You just got to go claim it. I got good news for you. Those in the room that you feel unloved. You feel, like, you feel like whatever's happened to you has defined who you are. I got good news for you. When Jesus heals you, he sets you free to live a new life. He sends you forth to live a new life. Part of that new life is your identity is you are loved by heaven. You are royalty. Part of that new life is that you are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. That makes you royalty on earth. So live like it. Quit worrying about bills, right? Why do I need to worry about bills when my daddy owns it all? Like if we would really live like this, right? Because this is what I've been set free to do. I've been set free to live like God is who he said he is. I've been set free to not worry about, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Am I, I've been set free to go, man, Holy Spirit, what do I, what, where are you leading me today? Do you know that the Spirit of God will never lead you into sin? The Spirit of God will never lead you to not love somebody else. The Spirit of God will never lead you not to truth and not to grace and figure out how to make that work. The Spirit of God will never lead you to lob grenades into a conversation. The Spirit of God won't do that. Okay, let's flip it, okay? God is for us. God meets us here. God shows up and he displays that he's for us by the way he loves us. He spread out on a cross and bled out every drop for you. He screams, he loves you. He is for you. He died for you. Why? So that you could be set free to have a brand new life. But here's, here's where I want to flip it. By the way, if you're in the, if you're in the room and you're like, that's great and all, but I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. We need to talk. We need to talk. Because it's really easy. I mean, the man set up the model, right? I'm here. I'm here, Jesus. I got nothing. I'm hoping you got something. I'm here. Restore it. But I, I want to flip it one more to those of you that are in the room that like you're a part of the collective that would call themselves the church. And here's how I want to flip it. Okay, God shows up on planet Earth, 
in the form of Jesus to show us what God is like, to give us a living, breathing display of this is God. He declares God is for us. He declares that he meets us there without any cleaning up. He he declares that he loves us. He declares that there's a new life, right? And then he ascends into heaven. And as he ascends, he gives to the believers this thing called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is to indwell us, to empower us, to live the life that we're supposed to live. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus is about restoring all things, right? If you go back to the garden, the purpose of creation, the purpose of humanity was to put God on display to say, this is what God is like. The purpose of the cross is to restore all things. What you have been given is you have been restored back to what the original intent was here. You've been restored back to it, which means this, that your life here and now is about displaying who God is. So let me ask you, those of you, that, those people around you that know you, would they see in you the God who is for them? Well, like, like if they, they've been around you for a little bit, would they know that God is for them because you're for them? See, that's how it works. You're the living, breathing display of what God is like and who God is. So, so if I show up and I am for them, what it's actually declaring is God is for you. That's why I'm for you. Taking it a step further, like, do you show up in the mess? Do they know that God meets them in the mess because they've seen you meet them in the mess over and over and over without judgmental eyes? And when you, when you end up in the mess and in the dirt, do they see someone who reaches across, doesn't distance themselves, but actually steps in and reaches across and shows love like Jesus would? Do they see a God who loves them in the mess and a God who loves them right where they are because they saw you? Because you are the living, walking display. Let's take it a step further, okay? Pick the grossest sin you can think of, right? Okay? And and I would say the worst, but there's no kind of like measuring stick. Sin is sin, right? But some, everybody's got their preference of gross, Pick yours. Or just pick the person who is the most different from you. And then imagine that wherever you go tomorrow, whether it's class, whether it's sitting on a bus, whether it's sitting in your dorm room, whether it's sitting at lunch, whether it's sitting at work, whether it's sitting, whatever your context is, right? Whatever your context of, of life, whether it's your golf posse, right? I don't know. By the way, everybody should have a golf posse. Just... But that person who is the most different, the most stuck in the lifestyle that you're like, ugh, right? And they're with you tomorrow. Do they see in you a God who is for them? Do they see in you a God who is there, that is present, that meets them right where they are? Do they see a God who loves them immensely? And has ways of showing. By the way, 1 John defines in chapter 4 that they will know God by our love. 1 John declares that in this world we're like Jesus. 
Do they see the same God that Jesus declared was God in you because you showed up? Do they see it? And then maybe another question is this, just to kind of push it forward even a little bit more. Do they see someone who is free to the life that God set them free to? Or do they see somebody who's stuck in bondage and misery because they're called a Christian? And they look at you and go, I would never want that. Y'all, may you, may you be the kind of people. May you be the Jesus followers. May you be the collective we call the church who displays the God who is for all of humanity that shows up no matter the mess and in the midst of the mess displays love even if it means I bleed out in sacrifice. And may they see in you a hope, a hope of a life that they never knew existed but is only found in Jesus. God, we come before you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are God Almighty. God, that you are vaster than we can ever imagine or ever see. That, God, you are above all, and yet you declare in that massiveness that you are for us, that you go before us and you go behind that you are to our side. God, that you meet us in the midst of where we are. God, I pray for anyone in the room tonight that's just struggling with where they are and, and, and whether it's sin or it's just frustration or whether it's hurt or whether it's bitterness, whatever it is, God, I pray that they would know that you meet them there tonight. That God, you love them in that space. You love them in that moment. That the cross is just as real there and you're not waiting for them to get somewhere else. God, would you set them free tonight? If that's you tonight, just in your own words, let them know. God, thank you that we get to walk with you. Thank you that you give us this new life. God, may we live it to the fullest because it cost you everything. Thank you for rescue. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you that, God, we stand here today knowing that we have a God who is for and a God who loves us immensely and a life that we've been given to live to the fullest. Thank you for loving us. And everybody said Amen.